Welcome to Your Gal Friday, a podcast about female leaders, innovators, and rule breakers. Each week, your hosts, Kate and Phoebe, will shine a spotlight on an amazing gal and talk about what we can all learn from her. Brought to you by Gal's Guide to the Galaxy. Welcome to Your Gal Friday. I'm Kate Chaplin. And I'm Phoebe Freer. Today we are talking about a gal called Our Lady of the Ladle. She peppered our TV screens from her kitchen and reached ours. She added spice to our lives and French flavors to our cooking. This esteemed gal cooked her way into our hearts for generations. Today we're going to let all the cooking puns boil over and talk about the life and legacy of your gal, Julia Child. So Julia Child is actually a very interesting one for me. Um, So when I was in my early teens, my mom and I sat down together and we watched Julie and Julia. It was this movie. Yes. Yeah. And I didn't understand it at first, to be quite honest, because I was kind of young, you know. It was this Right. And who was she talking about? Yeah. Yeah. I was like, who's Julia Child? I had no idea who Julia Child was. (laughs) And it was like these two storylines going back and forth. And I was really confused. And I was like, oh. Very true. But, But it was cool. It was cool. You know, it was this biopic. And it was about a lady named Julie who was cooking her way through Julia Child's cookbook in a full year. So that's 524 recipes in 365 days. Kind of crazy. Kind of (laughs) awesome. And it stars Amy Adams, which I thought was awesome because I love Amy Adams. But this was before I knew I loved Amy Adams. So, Uh. yeah, I was like, this is, it's always been a thing. Like, she's just always been... fantastic yeah so and also amy adams was julie and then meryl streep actually played julie childs and then they go actually go through both of the women's lives as julia discovers herself through cooking and how julie discovers herself while cooking through julia's recipes so they're like two different time periods you know but they go through both of their lives and it was really adorable yeah, I love that. Yeah, it's a very heartwarming movie, and I haven't seen it in a long time, so I really can't tell you how accurate it is, but it just gives me fond memories of, like, spending time with my mom and, like, oh, hey, I know who Julia Child is now, you know? It's kind of cool. Oh, yeah. I love that. I have still actually yet to see it, believe it or not. Oh, my gosh. It's adorable. Oh, I tried to find it before we recorded the show, but um, it was out at my library, and it's not on streaming sites right now. What? I'll bet you maybe next month it'll show up, and I'll be like, Probably. well, that was convenient. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it is on my list to see. I have watched clips from it. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and they're adorable. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yep. But uh, because I didn't get to see the Julie and Julia movie, um, but Julie Child, she is one of those gals that, like, I knew, but I really didn't know that much beyond, like, the icon status, really. Um, I mean, I knew she had a cooking show. I had only, you know, seen uh, mostly her cooking show through movies. Like, when the movie is, they're flipping through channels, it ends up being Julia Child, right? Yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) So... I really don't know before this podcast if I knew uh, more about Miss Doubtfire. <laughs> you know, because oh, yeah. Robin Williams oh, used yeah. Julia Child as an inspiration. Right. Yeah. So I probably knew more going into this about Mrs. Doubtfire than I knew about Julia Child, which probably isn't right. the best thing to admit. <laughs> well, you know, we're all going to be honest here. You know, that's what we yes. do. <laughs> 
honesty every single time. So, but it, until this week, until, you know, us digging into her life and researching, I hadn't connected with her. Um, right. And I just really did this week. Um, I adore her for so many reasons, and I have a feeling we're going to get into all of them. Totally. <laughs> so let's get into her life, shall we? So where yeah. did Julia grow up? So Julia Child was born in Pasadena, California. And she was born as Julia Carolyn McWilliams. And her mother was Julia Carolyn Weston, and her father was John McWilliams Jr. So Julia had two younger siblings, a brother and a sister, and she went to school at Park Meadows Elementary School. And then she went to Catherine Branson School in Ross, California, which was actually a boarding school, and it was her first experience at a boarding school. Ah, and big change of pace. Yeah. So, Julia was actually known to be incredibly tall. If you see the movie or anything like that, you would... Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they accentuate that. <laughs> she was six foot tall. Wow. Um, yeah, she grew to be six foot two, which is actually tall for anyone, really. Much oh, yeah. less a woman, you know. But she actually did play sports growing up, which included, like, tennis and golf and basketball. And then she even played sports in college when she went when she went to Smith College. And there she graduated in 1934. But, like, even still, even through all this, you know, Julia still didn't know what her passion was yet. She didn't find cooking yet. You see, Julia grew up with a cook who served her family. She did not observe or learn how to cook from her mother or or her grandmother. You know, like we typically do. That's how I learn how to cook, you know. She wasn't exposed to it, really. Yeah. But she did like to eat, you know. She, nice. Priorities. Yeah. She, I mean, right? Uh, who doesn't love to eat? But she like, really loved to eat. She made like a sport out of it, which is awesome. Nice. She said once that she thought it was better to eat as much as she could at each meal, which is very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> but well, she, she's big. She's right. got she's got to maintain a lot of calories for totally. that 6'2 frame. Yeah. Totally. She was very tall. She was hungry all the time. You know, it makes sense, actually. So after Julia graduated from college, she actually moved to New York City, where she worked as a copywriter for the advertising department of W&J Sloan. So, Kate, what else did Julia do before she found her love for cooking? Well, she volunteered at the American Red Cross and also the Aircraft Warning Services in California. She was awaiting her application approval from the War Department. Um, Now, Julia's first choice was actually to enlist in the Women's Army Corps, but she was too tall. How can you be too tall? Wait, 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 wait. (laughs) You she what? She was too tall for the requirements for the Women's Army Corps. That's Can you believe that? No, I don't believe that. Wait a minute here. That right? doesn't seem exactly. right. So you have to be this height of five four and five eleven. Like something like that. What? Yeah. Right. What? I know. There's like a minimum and a maximum? That's Apparently. very strange. It was very strange. It's oh, like, yeah. it's but you like, know what? It's not like she wanted yeah. to be a rockette. Like, come on, guys. Right. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, no, no, no. This was, you know, being able to serve her country. <laughs> wow. I'm, yep. so, wow. I'm actually starting to wonder if it was not serendipitous, which is quite possible to when Yo, weird yeah. things like that actually happen, totally. right? Totally, yeah. So she started at the Office of War Info in Washington, D.C., Julia started as a senior typist, where she, in her own words, quote, typed 10,000 little white cards. 
Uh, she typed up personal contact information about the chain of command. Now, she seemed really bored with this, and she put in a transfer to the OSS. Now, the OSS is actually a precursor to the CIA. It's what the CIA became. Um, it was established in 1942. It did research. Um, it analyzed special operations that the FBI, the Army, or the Navy wasn't already assigned to. It's basically right. a catch-all kind of place yeah. during the war. So Julia moved up from senior typist to senior clerk in the emergency rescue department. There she worked on a committee that researched creating a shark repellent. Now, in the midst of World War II, with numerous reports coming in of shark attacks to Navy officers and also equipment, there was a repellent was needed not only for safety, but actually to boost morale, because apparently sailors were even worried about getting into the water <laughs> or anything that would get them in the water because of sharks. They oh, were starting wow. to really freak out about That's it. That's crazy. Yeah. So with an interview with Betty McIntosh and her book, Sisterhood of Spies, Julia Child actually said this about her time with the shark repellent and the ERD. She said, I must say we had lots of fun. We designed rescue kits and other agent paraphernalia. So the CIA actually has a uh, has an article about Julia Child's time um, in the OSS. And it also lists up the recipe for the shark repellent that they designed. And it said that they tried over a hundred different substances, including common poisons, and the researchers found several promising possibilities. They use extracts from decayed shark meat uh, because it would smell like a dead shark, therefore healthy sharks would stay away. Right. Also acids and copper salts as well. So after a year of field tests, the most effective one was actually copper acetate. Uh, but upon testing it, they saw that it was effective with sharks, but not with other life-threatening uh, animals, such as barracudas and piranhas those were also a big problem right. um so the team actually mixed together with black dye and they made these disc shaped cakes basically mm -hmm. and these cakes they smelled like a dead shark when they were released in water and they released the black ink and they kept sharks away for six or seven hours wow. now the cakes could be attached to a life jacket to a belt or even uh somebody's arm to keep them safe while they're marooned so in my research with julia's war records which was 130 pages of awesomeness actually mm -hmm. <laughs> uh it was certain that she was on the committee but it was a team effort it looks like Julia was not just off in a kitchen somewhere whipping up a recipe in a mixing bowl uh, to repel sharks. You know, that does make an interesting story. However, it doesn't seem to be the case. It's also much like saying Julia Child was a spy because she was in the OSS. Um, because, you know, yes and no. Uh, she was an administrative assistant in a spy agency. Right. <laughs> That's about as close as it gets. Um, but Julia was stirring up accolades in 1944. A request was sent in to promote her to registry, and the request was based on the increased responsibility and her being trained for overseas duty. She very much wanted to go overseas. She was sent to Ceylon, which is now Sri Lanka, and then she was sent to Chongqing, China. In China, she was awarded for the emblem of Metoria Civil 
civilian service. And I love the citation because it actually paints this lovely picture of what Julia did overseas and what her personality was. It says, quote, through her resourcefulness, industry, and channeling of a great volume of highly classified communications and documents was performed with exceptional speed and accuracy. This, in addition to being an accurate filing system devised and set up by Miss McWilliams, facilitated the efficient functioning of all branches of the agency. Her drive and inherent cheerfulness, despite the long hours of tedious work, serves as a spur to great effort for those working with her. Her achievements reflect great credit upon herself and the armed forces of the United States. I wow. think they liked her. I, it sounds <laughs> it's like the nicest it. thing a military person would say to another military person. Yeah, that was really <laughs> nice. That's impressive. Instead of she did work, it was good, no one died. You know what I mean? Like- yeah, totally. It's like, no, he, she... They were very eloquent with that phrase. That was awesome. I know, right? So while she was stationed in Ceylon and again in China, Julia met fellow OSS employee Paul Child, which I'm going to have Phoebe talk about in a second. Now, when the war was over, the OSS was liquidated. It was only designed to exist during the war. So her last day, according to her war records, was December 7th, 1946. Aww. So how did she get started with the cooking part of her life? As we said earlier, Julia didn't even learn how to cook when she was a child, but she did learn when she met Paul Child, and he actually later became her husband, which is pretty cool. Yes. So because Paul grew up in a family very interested in food, Julia started to learn how much she likes cooking. So Paul was a New Jersey native who had lived in Paris as an artist and a poet, which is kind of um, romantic, actually. Yeah, absolutely. And he was known for his sophisticated palate. Paul joined the United States Foreign Service, and in 1948, him and Julia moved to Paris, uh, where he was assigned. While they were in Paris, they of course ate at many restaurants known for its cuisine. And Julia often recalled her first meal at Rouen as a culinary revelation. Once she described the meal as, quote, an opening of the soul and the spirit for me. So in Paris, she attended the famous Le Cordon Bleu cooking school and later studied privately with Max Bernard and other master chefs. Um, So she joined a women's cooking club and through that she met Simone Beck and who was writing a French cookbook for Americans with her friend Louisette. And Simone proposed that Julia would work with them to make the book appeal to Americans. So in 1951, Julia, Simone, and Louisette began to teach cooking to American women in Julia's Paris kitchen. Um, They called their informational school the School of the Three Food Lovers. So for the next decade, Julia and her husband moved around Europe, and finally they settled in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And then the three ladies through this time... They researched and repeatedly tested recipes, and they just kept working together. And then eventually, Julia translated the French cookbook into English, making the recipes more detailed, interesting, and practical. Awesome. Now, for some odd reason, part of the Le Corte en Bleu, uh, part of her story caused me to pause. And I wanted to go down the rabbit hole. (laughs) Let's do it. I love rabbit holes. 
Let's do it. I know. Because I thought at first, I'm like, maybe she was the first woman, you know, in the acclaimed cooking school. Um, I also wondered, was it hard to get into? Did she have to, you know, pull any strings or anything right. like that? Uh, it turns out if you ask some interesting questions, you always get an interesting answer. I love it. <laughs> right. So this is what I found out. So Julia was one of the many women who went through Le Cordon Bleu. In fact, the school itself started because of a woman. So in 1895, Marthe Destel started a magazine called Le Cordon Bleu and then went on to offer cooking classes. The rest is culinary history, which I thought what? was fascinating. But I actually had even more questions. So why did she call her newspaper, you know, the magazine and the school, why did she call it Le Cordon Bleu? And what does really that mean? Um, now, when I saw the translation, I thought, wow, I'm an idiot. Of course, that's what it means. I should have known, but I didn't, that Le Cordon Bleu translated means the blue ribbon. And so then I thought of blue ribbons. They're given at state fairs for, you know, for animals, but then also for like great apple pies, right? For culinary oh, excellence. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I even have a movie there where they gave me a blue ribbon award. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, okay. So blue ribbons, you know, mean excellence. Where in the world did this come from? Well, it comes from the 16th century when King Henry III, he created the Order of the Holy Spirit, where each member was knighted and awarded the cross of the Holy Spirit, which hung from a blue silk ribbon blue ribbon. There it is. Uh, these were mostly awarded to princes and to noblemen, but they were also awarded to those who excelled in their field. So to tie it specifically to cooking, the knights would actually have these extravagant feasts and they became known as cordon blues. Oh, so that's, that's kind of cool. where it ties into cooking, right? I love it when you go down rabbit holes. I, I know. love this. Here's another real fun kind of sidebar to the rabbit hole, but it was such a funny story. I had to actually share this. Uh, and this comes from Leslie Bannister in her Le Cordon Bleu blog that she actually has. She said, quote, in the 18th century, Louis opposed the idea that women could cook. He loved fine foods and he would only trust his menu to males who he believed to be superior in every way. This attitude upset one of Louis's mistresses, Madame de Berry. So she invited him to supper and made him the best cousinier, which is a French cook in France. So Louis was delighted by the fair and asked, who is this new cousinier of yours? He must join the royal household. <laughs> so oh. Madame du Berry replied, it is not a cousinier, but a cousinier. And I demand a worthy recompense for both her and your majesty. I cannot, cannot accept less than a cordon bleu for her. At this point, the cordon bleu was an honor only disposed upon anyone who excelled in their field, but it usually applied to cookery. Sadly, the cheeky mistress went to the guillotine in 1793, but fortunately her ideas about women as great chefs did not die with her. Wow. Interesting, isn't crazy. it? Crazy. <laughs> Wow. I had to share that one. So oh, back yeah. to Julia. <laughs> so like Phoebe said, Julia attended Le Cordon Bleu in 1950. Now she used her GI Bill actually to get in, oh, cool. uh, to pay for it. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. She took the professional course, uh, which was actually in the basement. <laughs> 
<laughs> the regular, more expensive class was actually upstairs. So she was actually really disliked by her school director. Um, but Julia rose quickly through the through the ranks and became the top of the class and became a protege to chef Max Bernard. So when it came time to take the exam, though, uh, Julia said this in her book, My Life in France. And I thought it really related to all of us who have ever had to take a test. Mm. <laughs> there were no questions about complicated dishes or sauces, no discussion on the techniques and the methods I used. Instead, they wanted me to memorize basic recipes taken from the Cordon Bleu booklet, a publication written for beginner cooks that I had hardly bothered to look at. This exam was far too simple for somebody who had devoted six months of hard work to cooking at school, not to mention the countless hours of her own time in the markets and behind the stove. My disgruntlement was supreme. My amour papar enraged. My bile overboiling. Worst of all, it was my own fault. I despaired that the school would ever dine to grant me a certificate. Later that afternoon, I slipped down to Le Cordon Bleu's basement kitchen by myself. I opened the school booklet. I found the recipes from the exam. I whipped them all up in a cold, clean fury, and I ate them. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love her so much. Isn't that great? And Julia, after doing that and convincing to take the test again, she earned her Diploma de Cuisine in 1951. Yeah, Yay! the rabbit hole of Le Cordon Bleu. I do oh my love gosh. it. That was the best. We know so much about her from her cooking show. Um, was what? she the first to do a cooking show? She actually was not. Um, oh. you may think, yeah, you may think that Julia Child was the first to host a cooking show. And you wouldn't be the only person to think that she was. But the first person to host a televised cooking show was actually a man by the name of Philip Harben, who had a show in the UK. Ah, okay, gotcha. Right. So, but he's kind of known, but not really... Because only a few months later, there was James Beard in 1946 who hosted a show in the United States. and But the problem was, he wasn't even known that much. Because in 1946, oh. the television wasn't a common thing in people's households yet. So the audience reach was significantly lower. It was like, first off, you have to reach the audience of who has a television. And then right. you have to reach who wants to watch a cooking show right exactly yeah yeah and at this point everybody who has a tv has more money they might even have their own cook you, you know it's just like all they, it might not be something that interests them yeah exactly right. <clears throat> there's just all of these different factors that like they didn't necessarily fail but they're not well known at all you know right right exactly the audience wasn't there yet totally yeah um it is even said that the show was decades before its time and then there was there was actually other cooking shows, including one beat by Dion Lucas in 1947. And she was actually the first woman to host a TV cooking show. Ah, very cool. Awesome. Yep. So in one of her more memorable episodes, um, Dion attempted to demonstrate a chocolate souffle for her audience. And she prepared the batter that took fresh and already made souffle out of the oven to show off her creation. The unfortunate thing, though, is an electrician had actually unplugged the oven on set, <laughs> and the souffle was stone cold. Oh. So she was unable to do anything except for to continue to chat about the souffle's glamorous appearance. 
as chocolate and egg whites dissolved into a puddle. And, <laughs> yeah. The thing is that it, it's live television, you know? Nothing was right. edited at this point, you know? So you just kind of had to make do with what you got, you know? Right, exactly. But I thought that was an adorable story. It's like, it shows you, like... You know the reality of it all. Like, no, this is what they had to yeah. do, and and the technology of the time. Totally, it was still and it's new. so fascinating yeah. because, like, that's still kind of what they do. You know, they put the new one in the mm-hmm. oven. It hasn't really been in that oven for five hours. It's they just right. put it there so they can pull it out again. You know, it's like the same concepts. Exactly. Oh, how we learn. <laughs> oh yes. Oh yes. Do not unplug. <laughs> oh my gosh. Note to self, don't unplug anything on set. Right, exactly. Always. <laughs> Always. So there was actually another show by Joseph Mugliani in 1949, and then there's this big gap until 1963, where Julia Child starts her French chef show. Oh, awesome. She actually got her TV show after appearing on a Boston book review show where she cooked an omelet, and they were pretty impressed, and they were like, you know what? Why don't you do a TV show? Right. So, and, and Julia was known for showcasing how easy and inexpensive it was to cook French food at home, which at the time, Americans viewed French food as expensive French restaurant food, which was not right. attainable or, you know, not within reach. Of do it that. yourself at all. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. Her show actually helped boost the popularity of French food in America. And she showed the people the power of cooking on television. And Julie Child was doing her own show at a good time. In 1963, there was a significantly larger amount of people with televisions. There's a bigger audience to choose from. Right. Which would explain why most people think that she was, quote, the first. Because mm-hmm. she was really the first that hit the, that broader audience. Like, the, right. the ones before her really just did not hit the majority of people. But once right. she didn't once hit she, mainstream, yeah, totally, yeah. And once she hit the market, then she kind of hit it at its peak time, you know. That is perfect, serendipitous again. I think, yeah, yeah <laughs> totally. She actually won the first Emmy for an educational show, and it was the first show to be closed captioned, which is pretty awesome. Oh, very yeah. cool. Yeah. So Julia actually had a large impact on American households and housewives because of the technology in the '60s. The show was unedited. And her blunders appeared just like the one before her, just like the mistakes. Her mistakes were there. She couldn't edit them out. And, you know, it ultimately led to, like, authenticity and approachability to television. Right. So, according to Toby Miller, um, one mother he spoke to said that sometimes all that stood between me and insanity was a hearty Julia Child. Because of Julia's ability to soothe and transport herself. Julia's show actually began before the feminist movement in the 1960s, which meant Mm -hmm. that the issues of housewives and women faced were somewhat ignored on television, but Julia actually gave them a voice and a reassurance to themselves that, hey, you are heard, I'm here. We're we're mm-hmm. doing this. It's not. It wasn't the peak of it yet. You know, she wasn't like fighting the good fight, so to speak. But she was still there. She was still like 
a pioneer. Julia published 18 books in her life. It started with mastering the art of French cooking in 1961 with Simone and Louisette. All but one of Julia Child's book was a cookbook. The My Life in France was published after her death. Um, She was actually working on it for the last eight months of her life with her husband's grandnephew. They were compiling stories and they had a focus on three things. Three things that Julia really loved. They were Paul, France, and cooking. Those are the three things that they concentrated on in her book. That's so adorable. Isn't that? I mean, that's that it seems simple, but at the same time, it's like, nope, that sounds about right. No, that does. It does. Oh, my gosh. That is the book that the movie uh, Julie and Julia is based on, um, as well as Julia Powell's uh, first, it was a a blog, and then it was a book, which was also published after Julia Child's death. Now, Julia also had videotapes, and then later DVDs came out. There was The Way to Cook, which was a six-hour series that was direct to home video, and of course, later DVD. I did watch a small clip of her on the David Letterman show. Where she was explaining that you can bring your small television into your kitchen to cook along with her. <laughs> it was very cute. At a time and age when we have, you know, basically a movie or a episode on our phone and right. we bring that into our kitchen. The idea is she was assuring people you can bring your TV and plug it in in the kitchen. <laughs> That's adorable. It was super cute. <laughs> But there are eight DVDs uh, available that range from the TV show The French Chef all the way to her final show, which was Baking with Julia. It was a TV special that aired in the year 2000. So I'm assuming she won lots of awards, Phoebe. Um, (laughs) You were digging into that. Yeah. So Julia Child actually collected many, 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 many (laughs) awards in her life. Right. And um, it's kind of crazy, actually, how many things she won. And honestly, I kind of think that they speak for themselves, so I'm just going to tell you what they were. Perfect. In 1965, <laughs> she won the Peabody Award for The French Chef. In 1966, she got an Emmy for Achievements in Educational Television, Individuals for The French Chef. In 1980, the U.S. National Book Award for Current Interests for Julia Child and More Company. Um, She got the James Beard Award for Best Culinary Video. In 1995, Julia and Jux Moore Cooking in Concert, um, National Book Award for Current Interest. Nice. In 1996, In Julia's Kitchen with Master Chefs. In 1980, Julia Child and Moore Company, um, James Beard Award for Best National Television Cooking Show. In 1996, in 1997, and in 2001, she got an award Julia and Jacks for Cooking at Home, Baking with Julia, Cooking with Master Chefs, hosted by Julia Child. And they got the James Beard Award for General Cooking. So in 2000, Julia and Jacks Cooking at Home, the James Beard Award, of course, for Chefs and Restaurants. Um, the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2003. And then oh, on top cool. of all of that, Julia Child has a rose named after her. Oh Yeah, it is known in the UK as the absolutely fabulous rose. And it uh-huh. is a golden butter slash gold rose named after Julie Child, which is just darling. I mean, my new life goal now is to be named 
like have a rose named after me. That's that that's so a new life goal. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Aw. My husband has been gardening and I will have to have him look into seeing about getting an absolutely fabulous Julia Child rose. That's oh so my cool. Gosh, that's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, Julia inspired countless people and some might even be celebrity chefs that we know today and have television shows oh, today. Totally. But I did pull from a few of those uh, that have publicly said that they were inspired by her. Uh, One of them, Art Smith. He is the former personal chef to Oprah. And he said that Julia gave novices the confidence to try. And I love that. Tina Yugaki, who is the executive food director of Food and Wine magazine, said that Julia taught her to keep on going, that it doesn't have to be perfect. Uh, John Willoughby, the executive editor of Gourmet Magazine, cites Julia for convincing him to try a food processor. Now, that might not seem like a lot. (laughs) But it's a lot. There was a time where chefs are like, no, 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 I need to cut it by hand. It's precise. It's exact. I know what I'm doing. But seeing Julia try a new gadget or a new device, it really did help. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Uh, Tanya Steele, who is the editor-in-chief of Epicurious.com, she said, literally learned every single thing from Julia Child. That's awesome. (laughs) Right? And the last one was Ava Fedler. She's the associate dean at the Culinary Institute of America. And she said, quote, I can't tell you the number of friends I have who were self-taught themselves by going through her books. So, yeah, that's just some of her influence um, that has gone around. Yes. (laughs) Now I need to go get a Julia Child book. Absolutely. And myself how to cook better. (laughs) There you go. Every now and again, maybe when you're feeling a little bit down or you have a blase Sunday afternoon, I would definitely say check out a Julia Child video. There's tons of them on YouTube also, by the way. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and they are they are amazing. You really do cheer up and you just give it a good old college try. Oh, I love it. <laughs> so after all that, in 2001, Julia moved to a retirement community and she donated her house and office to Smith College, which the college later sold. Julia donated her kitchen which her husband designed with high counters to accommodate her height, of course. And it served as the set for three of her television shows, but she donated it to the National Museum of American History, where it is now on display. And we can actually go see it, which would be super cool. That is very cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Her iconic copper pots and pans were on display at Copia in Napa, California, until August of 2009. But after that, they were reunited with the kitchen at the Smithsonian's National Museum of American History in Washington, D.C. So now they're all together. Aww. Yeah. So on August 13th, 2004, Julia died of kidney failure in Montecito, California, just two days before her 92nd birthday. And it is noted that her last meal was a French onion soup. She ended her last book, My Life in France, with... Thinking back on it now reminds me that the pleasures on, of the table and of life are infinite. Toujours bon appetit. I, I feel like once Julia fell in love with cooking and wanted to share that with others, she started a legacy. Because we always oh, talk about yeah. you know what legacy she wanted to leave behind. Totally. And from that first cookbook to her last TV special, it just feels crystal clear 
And that's really rare. I mean, it's just, it's extremely rare that you know oh, what yeah. you want to do and that you just, you know, um, you stick with it through all that time. And we talk about amazing gals all the time on the show. Right. And some of them knew what their legacy, you know, wanted to be um, like Julia. But there was also many that had no idea of what their legacy would actually right. be. Yeah. They were doing things that they were good at at that time, um, using whatever opportunity that they had. But they didn't know what they would leave behind or how they would be remembered. Um, but with Julia, I feel like it was cemented. Just that totally. that first moment she picked up, you know, a whisk on television. Like she knew this was going to be her legacy. That she was going to make French cooking approachable and fun. And that through the show, she was going to show you how to fail and then brush yourself off and try again. Um, and I just, I absolutely love that. What, what legacy do you think she wanted to leave behind? I think it's fascinating because one of her quotes is, I don't think about whether people will remember me or not. I've been an okay person. I've learned a lot. I've taught people a thing or two. And that's what's important. Like just hearing that quote, it's like, oh, she, she knew what she was doing was important, but she was also yeah. extremely humble and she was extremely, this isn't just about me like that's kind of how she felt mm -hmm. you know and it was it wasn't yeah. just about her it was like t it was the lessons that she was teaching like no it's okay to fail mm -hmm. it's approachable you're empowered to cook I think it's fascinating I I know when I cook something like I don't cook very often I'll just go ahead and admit that right now <laughs> but when I don't I, cook all that much either yeah. yeah no but when I find a recipe and I find every ingredient for it and I'm like, I got this, you know, I can follow the recipe and I make it and it tastes amazing. I feel empowered, you know, and right? I think that's really yeah. cool. She's bringing to us a new kind of empowerment before mm -hmm. even the women's rights movement. That's just really cool. And I don't I don't know if necessarily what she wanted to leave behind, but I, I think that that's kind of what she left behind was like just in, in a strange way, I guess, empowerment, you know. Right. To put a cooking pun on it, she was an ingredient of empowerment. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> See? You're she so wasn't good. the whole thing. I'm just saying, you have to right, bring your own right, brew. Right. <laughs> you have to bring it to a boil. Oh and you have to gosh. enjoy it. I but love she it. But was, she was definitely an ingredient. She's definitely an ingredient, <laughs> for sure. Cooking puns. They cooking puns. never get old. Oh, yeah. Kate is full of them. I love it. <laughs> I, I learn from Julia Child, and I love this, I'm probably going to take this with me for the rest of my life, that it's okay to have an infectious personality Oh my gosh, um, yeah. and to put it in everything that you do. Because, I mean, I know that I have what can either be considered a infectious personality or an irritating personality. I understand that it is a fine red line. <laughs> And depend on who you ask, that that's what it is. I think it's infectious and I love it. Right. I know. But I think Julia Child is the same way too. I think you, you know what I mean? You love her or she's jarring. No, it makes it's sense. It's that same yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. It totally makes sense. The funny thing was though, going through those war records, I could see her personality in her resume. I could see it in her transcripts of oh. the way that she signed off on things. She would crack me up. All the time and any little thing that I would find out about her. It was that personality always coming through. I really, I learned that it's okay to be a large lady with a big build and be loved by millions of people. That's awesome. <laughs> it gives me hope. Let me just say. 
<laughs> but honestly, I think what I learned uh, most is that cooking is far more ingrained in our culture than I even really thought of. I, oh, yeah. I didn't think of it that much. But really, it's the recipes that you have handed down to you or that you hand down. A large majority of questions that I have for my mom are cooking related. It's right. really weird. <laughs> um, but last week, I asked her what type of vinegar she used in her cucumbers because I was remembering how they smelled and how I loved the house smell when right. she was uh, putting vinegar in cucumbers. Cooking is a conduit. It becomes our connection with people, and it's a way to share time together. It's also a way to show our love for one another. I'm giving you sustenance. It should be tasty. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I feel that so much. Yeah. And I'll give you an example. So my friend Katie, I love I love my Katie. She makes my birthday cake. Um, and because she always asks what I want for my birthday. And I say, I want you to make my birthday cake because it's it's really delicious. Mm -hmm. Now, I know that Katie obsesses over it. <laughs> I know that she wants it to be perfect. And I also know that she is never happy with it when she gives it to me. Aww. She has every excuse of how terrible it is. But I know she made it for me. I know she thought about me all day or probably for weeks <laughs> stressing out about it. But you know what? She makes my favorite cake. And it's the only thing that I want from Katie on my birthday. Anything else would not be enough. I love it when she, she bakes me a cake. Right. And that says something beyond food. You know what I mean? Ooh. It's... It's really interesting. So messing up a recipe is also a lesson for life. I mean, you look at what you have around you and you look for what you can use and what you can, uh, what works. If you don't like a spice, you substitute a different one because you make it tailored for you. Uh, you add more spice or you start over if you mess up. Uh, you eat what didn't burn. You know, I've done that quite a oh, few times. Yeah, I've done that. <laughs> it's a microcosm for the human existence. I mean, variety is a spice of life. Ah, another cooking pun. <laughs> and I really think that Julia got that essence and uh, she taught us that. Absolutely. Uh, she taught us that it's more than just cooking, but sure, we'll say it's just cooking. <laughs> right. Absolutely. You, do you have any more that you personally learned from Julia this week? I mean, I, I love the fact that she was like, no, it's okay to make mistakes. That's yeah. huge to me. That is huge. It really is. I'm one of those people that beats myself up in my head, like, all the time. Like, ah, oh, you made oh, a mistake. She did it on live television in front of thousands of people. Yeah. And she's like, no, it's okay. Just brush it off. Keep moving. Mm -hmm. Like, it's, it's, it's actually okay. You know? I love the ones where there were certain episodes where she says, it looks fabulous. I'm sure it doesn't taste right. And there was other <laughs> ones where she says it may uh, look hideous, but it's going to taste delicious. <laughs> right. I love it. So it was one of those things where it's like, you know what? Even if you mess up, you probably got one of the two just fine. Yeah. Either it looks good or tastes good. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Food should be one of the love languages if it's not yes. already. Like, especially when I'm working hard. If somebody brings me food after mm -hmm. a long day. It is, like, the best gift you could ever possibly give me, ever. Right. But like you said, though, I never really thought about it too much, how much it's ingrained in our culture. Yeah. You know, oh, how yeah. much food's in our culture. And it's just, it was interesting this week to kind of learn about that and learn about 
how food really does affect us. And food was her passion, and she was able to actually mm -hmm. help people and inspire people. She found a universal aspect to it. Yeah. That was, uh, that really, really uh, touched people and was a lifeline to people. Totally. I love it. <laughs> Well, that wraps it up for us. Uh, we actually have eight episodes left in 2017. So please let us know on our Facebook page uh, what gals you would like us to talk about, how you're feeling about the show. Yep, uh, if you're loving us, give us a thumbs up and follow us on Facebook. We would love to hear from you. So we will leave you with this quote from Julia. I don't think about whether people will remember me or not. I've been an okay person. I've learned a lot, and I've taught people a thing or two, and that's what's important. For more information about this week's gal, or to check out our previous episodes, visit galsguide.org. To support the show, visit the Gals Guide Patreon page. We've got great perks like behind the scenes, early access, and private live streams. Thank you so much for subscribing to Your Gal Friday.